the book of Genesis, we're looking at the life of Jacob and uh, family, Jacob and family, and uh, we're dealing with one of the most dysfunctional families in all the Bible, and uh, it's really coming to a head as far as this family is concerned. Uh, Abraham probably would have, uh, uh, to use a very common euphemism, would have turned over in his grave had he realized what on earth was happening with his descendants as far as their ability to function um, in a godly way is concerned. And I just want to remind you that it's simply out of this situation that you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Twelve tribes, four mothers, and um, there's dysfunction from beginning to end. But here's the point that I want to make even before we begin, and that is this, that God used this family in spite of the dysfunction. He used this family in spite of the deceit. He used this family in spite of the... um, of the uh, taking advantage of people uh, and not being able to get along in spite of the, sibyl, sibyl, uh, the, the uh, sibling rivalry and the, um, and the, lack of, uh, uh, the lack of attention and love between members of the family. He used it in spite. And the 12 tribes of Israel are a result of God taking a bad situation and turning it out for good. That's pretty, pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty nice to know. So go back to Genesis chapter 25 for just a second. And I'm going to ask you a question before I begin. In Genesis chapter 25, um, since you know that Jacob was, uh, was a schemer, since you know that Jacob was, how many knew that? Jacob was a, a deceitful person. He was a liar and a cheat and... And did many things, and uh, he's hearing me say this, but uh, the end of the story is a good ending uh, for Jacob and then for the illustration that he is for all of us. But I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 25, and my first question to you is, how do you know when you are being deceived? How do you know when you are being deceived? Now, if you had have asked Mark uh, Twain that, I don't know why I'm using him as an example this morning again. But if you'd asked Mark Twain that question, he said, well, get the facts first, and then you can distort them as much as you want. We're twisting it around. We're assuming that you and I don't want in any way to be deceitful in anything that we do because we live in a very deceitful society, by the way, right? So I would say, well, the first thing is make it a commitment not to be deceitful, and in order to do that, get the facts, Get the facts. How do you know when you're being deceitful? Well, a certain woman was preparing to entertain her guests, so she decided to go to the small grocery store to buy some food. She stopped at the meat counter, and she asked the attendant for a large chicken. He reached down into the cold storage department, grabbed the last chicken he had, and put it on the scale, and he said to her, This one weighs four pounds, ma'am. Well, I'm not sure that will be enough, the woman replied. Don't you have a bigger one? 
The attendant put the chicken back into the compartment, pretending to search through the melting ice for another one, and then brought out the very same chicken. Discreetly, he put it on the scale and applied some finger pressure and said to her with a smile, well, this one weighs six pounds. Well, I'm just not sure, the woman frowned. I'll tell you what, wrap them both up for me. <laughs> now, that's how you know when you are being deceived. Think about that for a minute. Now, <clears throat> I want you to go to Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. And Isaac had a son, and when he was 40 years old, the Bible says he married Rebekah. And when he was older, um, 20 years by the way, he had a son and named that son Jacob. And Jacob had a twin brother called Esau, right? You all familiar with this? But I want, to, I want to begin with this information in verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. Would you say right off the bat that you have a family that wants to, is somehow connected to the Lord? Uh, they have run into problems, they go to the Lord in prayer. They're connected to the Lord, they're connected to his covenant promise that, that God gave to Isaac's dad, Abraham where he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to make a great people of you. And you'll remember several times in the book of Genesis, God told Abraham to go out and to look at the stars or try to count the sea grains on the beach, the sand. And, and if you can count the stars and if you can count the grains of sand that there are, then I'm not telling you the truth. But if you can't do any of that, I promise you that I am going to make you a great nation. And all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. So this family is connected to the Lord. They're not, a, they're not an unbelieving family. And Isaac knew that in order for God to fulfill his promise, just like with his daddy, he was the, he was the, uh, the son of uh, constant prayer and concern. He had to pray for his wife because she couldn't have any children. And what did the Bible say in verse 21? And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But this wasn't an easy pregnancy. This was a very difficult pregnancy, and she wondered why she was having so much problem with the pregnancy. And so what do you think she did? She went to the Lord, and she inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her in verse 23, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Which one was born first, Jacob or Esau? Esau. And so he would be the one, according to God's plan and purpose, because God is saying, this is my plan, that the older one is going to serve the younger. And so, the two boys were born. And in verse 27, the Bible says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skilled hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. 
but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I don't know if you're reading the daily Bible reading and you're t- making notes about this family and, and how they get along. The first thing that you're going to come across is this passage of Scripture where the Bible says Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob because you and I know as parents this is called playing what? Favorites. And you and I know that it not only causes problems between the kids, but it causes problems between the parents. And, and listen, Zach and I were talking about these sermons, and last week he did Isaac, and I said, well, that's, that's appropriate because it's Valentine's Day weekend. And there's no couple who had a better romance than Isaac and Rebecca. Right? They just had a beautiful romance. It was like their marriage was made in heaven Everything was going well. Everything is perfect. And now when the kids come along, we see that there's going to be some dysfunction in this family because the parents are playing favorites. There are lots of family problems here. And they show up. I actually highlighted all of the family problems in yellow with a yellow highlighter in my Bible. Now, the second problem comes when in verse 29... Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field and was very weary. Esau liked to be out in the woods a lot. He liked to hunt. And Esau was kind of like, uh, Jacob was more like a homebody, liked to stick around the house. And so he had some stew cooking. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. And you know the story. You know exactly what happened. But Jacob said to him, to show you how Jacob's deceit and Jacob's taking advantage of people is starting to show up. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? That birthright doesn't mean anything to me. I am starving and I want something to eat. And the reason why he's starving and wants something to eat because he's in a very vulnerable moment because out there all day, probably hunting and and out there in the woods and he's just famished to the core. By the way, you and I know that we are most susceptible to making bad decisions when we are that way, right? You know that we got to be careful with that. We know that we're probably not going to think straight when we are to the place where we are weary and, and so Esau said, this doesn't mean anything to me. And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. God has a conclusion that he's reached. And so when Moses wrote this down, he says, Thus Esau, what does it say, everybody together? Despised his birthright. Now, now God already had told Rebekah that Esau was going to serve the younger. God's plan was to bring about this great blessing on Israel through Jacob and not, in fact, 
everyone else gets excluded except the line of Jacob. That's why, by the way, those of you who are students of God's Word and you go through the prophetic passages of Scripture in the Old Testament and you find Israel described as the, the house of Jacob uh, hundreds of times, by the way. That's why. That's why. Now, the birthright goes along with a blessing. And the blessing is what's supposed to come next. But you see, the point is that Esau despised his birthright. Now, if I had to give you a quick illustration of what that means for us, and you don't have to turn to this passage of Scripture, but in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses is giving his final instructions to the children of Israel before they cross the Jordan River. And Moses wrote down all of the words that God gave to him in a book, and he handed the book to the Levites, and he said to the Levites, I want you to put this book into the Ark of the Covenant because I want these words to be a testimony against Israel. I've been with you, and I see how rebellious you are. Just imagine what it's going to be like with you children of Israel when I'm gone. And what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is he says to the children of Israel, he said, listen, he says, God is our rock. Now, the New Testament interprets this passage of Scripture and identifies the rock as Christ. But in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, the Bible says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. All of His ways are justice, a God of truth. And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And he has nothing but good things to say about the rock of their salvation. But when we get to verse 15 of Deuteronomy 32, it says here that they scornfully esteem the rock of his salvation. It's no longer important. No longer do they see all those wonderful qualities about the rock. And in verse 18, he says, Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. That's in essence what Esau is doing here. Esau is saying, I don't care about my birthright. I don't care about this covenant. I don't care about God, God's promises anymore. All I care about is what I need. And I need some food. Now you see how ridiculous that is, right? You understand how ridiculous it is to sacrifice the future on the altar of the present as we used to say well I don't want to get into the uh, all of the dysfunction of the family but we do need to go to chapter 27 for a couple of minutes and introduce chapter 27 a very important part of the story that you are probably very familiar with but let me simply say this to you, that as you move through this book and as you look at these things that we're looking at, you and I don't want to be guilty of despising our birthright. Now, from a national perspective, we have a Christian heritage, but as a nation, we've totally despised it as a nation as a whole, right? We don't treat it as important anymore. We don't see the value of it anymore. We don't appreciate what God has done in creating for us this nation of we get to live in and, and worship the Lord freely. But you can take that to almost everything in your life, including your relationship with the Lord. Let's not be guilty of despising 
our birthright. But notice that along with the birthright comes a blessing. In chapter 27, now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and he said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. By the way, he lived over 40 years after this. I don't know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, I, I got some questions and I think all of us have some questions and I would first my first question would be, why didn't he accept what God told Rebecca? Years ago. I don't have the answer to that, do you? But I do know that Isaac and Rebecca stopped communicating after they were married. I do know that. And there are several indications of that in this passage of Scripture where Isaac doesn't know what Rebecca's doing, and Rebecca doesn't know what Isaac is doing. They haven't thought things through. They haven't talked things out. I don't know if Rebecca ever said, you know, um, I, I, Isaac, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you what God told me when I was uh, having that rough pregnancy. He said that the older is going to serve the younger. What are we going to do about that? See, we don't have any indication that there was any communication about that. But we do know that Rebekah in verse 5 was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and went to the field to hunt game. And Rebekah said to Jacob, just Jacob, we've got to, we've got to change the situation here. I've got to, I've got to, we've got to make some food. We've got to take it to your dad. We've got to give your dad the impression that it's Esau that he is talking to. And I say to myself, Deceit. She's just as bad as Jacob. She put him up to it. And twice, twice, the Bible talks about the deceit. You'll remember that, uh, you'll remember that, that, uh, that fancy way she came up with to deceive dad into thinking that Jacob was Esau. And Jacob himself was uncomfortable about that. And he said in verse 12 of that chapter, he says, Perhaps my father will feel me when he, when he feels the, with the hairy skin that you've given me to impress him with the fact that I'm supposed to be my brother. And I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And you'll remember that when Jacob was standing before his father in chapter 27, after he brought the food and is impersonating his brother Esau, that dad even had some questions about that and said to uh, Jacob, are, are you really my son Esau? And, and Jacob's answer in verse 19 was, yes, I am, dad. I'm going to lie to you. I'm lying through my teeth. You don't know it but I am telling you that I am Esau. And he says, well, I don't know. Something's wrong here, and I can't quite put my finger on it. 
And then he asked him the second time after, before all is said and done, and he said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob, with a bold-faced lie, said, I am. And he blessed him. And the blessing goes along with the birthright, and they're both connected to the, to the uh, promise that God gave to Abraham. And the Bible says that the blessing is recorded here in, in verse 28. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. In other words, may you be prosperous. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. Be a leader among the nations, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. And this is where we have that very famous passage of Scripture that says, everybody, if you have it there and you can read it, cursed be everyone who curses you. You all have that there? Cursed be everyone who curses you, and together, and blessed be those who bless you. Well, Esau came back. Esau realized what had happened. The Bible says that um, dad realized then that he had been deceived, and he says to his brother, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Esau begs dad for a blessing. Dad says, I can't do that. He says, I can't do that, but I will give you a blessing and the blessing that he gave to Esau is recorded there in verses 39 and 40. You'll be prosperous too, but I can't give you that leadership position. You can't be the head of the covenant relationship. You can't be the family member that God is going to use to bring that blessing to the rest of the world. And if he knew, all, you know, he, he would say he's going to do it through that scheming brother of yours. He's going to do it through that brother of yours that takes advantage of people. He's going to do it through that brother of yours that, that um, takes matters into his own hands. And uh, mom's to blame for this as well. You know, you and I both know that the way this was handled had a heavy price on the family. God uses this family in a mighty way, but Esau is to the place where he wants to murder his brother. Isaac and Rebekah, marriage is on the rocks, to say the least. Mother is never going to see his, her younger son again because he is going to go into exile and he's going to live an intolerable home life. He's not going to get what he wants. He's going to be forced to have what he doesn't want and it's going to cause conflict for years and for 20 years. And you'll read that, or have read that, in the book of Genesis here. So we don't have time to go into all of that, but, but the deception is, uh, is uh, pretty fascinating here when you think about it. So I just want to end with chapter 28, where then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. You need to go back to your mother's family, and you need to get a wife from over there. And notice what he says in verses 3, 4, and following. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. So he's acknowledging now, Jacob, you're the, you're the one. 
that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. I acknowledge the fact that you are now the one through whom God is going to bring the blessing. And so there's some more dysfunction coming up here. We'll skip over that and we'll try to conclude this now with what happens to Jacob in verse 10. So Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. Now, even when I was a little kid and I would read this passage, I would say to myself, boy, there's Jacob for the first time in his life. He is unutterably lonely all by himself in a strange place. The sun has set. He has to sleep out under the stars. He stayed there all night, took a stone and put it at his head to use as a, as a pillow. And while that was happening, he was dreaming. Behold, a ladder was set up on earth and its top reached to heaven. Ladder or stairs, it doesn't matter. Either one of those will work. I prefer stairs, by the way, because I'm afraid of heights. I used to sing that song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. So I don't know how far we could go with this. I'm, I'm getting afraid of heights. That's kid stuff, right? But he's dreaming that. And the Bible says, He dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is a very famous passage of Scripture. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said to this guy who has yet, he's going to have 20-some years of uh, being taken advantage of himself as he takes advantage, but he loves the Lord in spite of all of this. The Lord doesn't spare him for the dysfunction of his family, but he loves the Lord and he gets by all of this and he gets through all of this. And God says to him in verse 13, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants also. Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, what does it say? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're sitting here today because of God's fulfillment of that promise to him. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. You're willing to do this for me? The scoundrel that I am? The cheat that I am? Hey, God. Now, you know, there, there are a lot of things to consider when we evaluate the moral actions of Jacob, you see. Number one, God is the one who said the younger is going to be the one over the older. And they were only a few minutes apart. Esau was a twin, and, and he happened to have been born first. But God's the one who made the choice. Esau cared nothing about it. He had already despised his birthright. He proves that he isn't even a believer. Mother put him up to it. He wants it because he appreciates the promise. 
But see, the problems are that he is taking advantage of other people to get his way and taking matters into his own hands. Every time I read in Scripture where somebody takes matters into their own hands like Sarah did. Y'all remember Sarah, right? I say to myself, what on earth were they thinking? It's kind of like when Abraham and Sarah went down to... uh, Uh, to the foreign land and the king is down there and sees Sarah and says to Sarah boy I'll tell you what why don't you come over to my place and uh, I'd like to court you because Abraham had given him the impression the king the impression this is my sister this isn't my wife and you remember God came to him in the middle of the night and God said to the king listen do you realize that the girl that you're trying to court is another man's wife. Do you realize that? And uh, God has to protect his promise, right? So it has to be Abraham and Sarah. It can't be anybody else in the mix. And so the Bible says that uh, God says to the king, listen, if you give her back, everything's okay. I'll forget about it. But if you don't, you're a dead man. And the first thing the king does is in the morning, he calls Abraham and he says to Abraham, he says, what on earth were you thinking by passing her off as your wife, as your sister and not your wife? That's what he said. And Abraham said, I was afraid. I was afraid that you'd kill me and take her if I were her husband. And he said, well, you were dead wrong. Because we fear the Lord around here too. We fear the Lord around here too. And that's what I think of when I think of uh, Jacob taking all of these opportunities to to, uh, do things his way and take matters into his own hands like several, several members of the family did. But God didn't write the family off. And even though this family seemed to bring the worst out in each other, God wants us to bring the best out in each other. And we can't do it with all the ways that they connived and they cheated and they took advantage. And he goes to, you, as you know, he goes to his, his uh, mother's family and uh, you know, he's, he's cheated over there and... Uh, his uncle doesn't, you know, just as bad as he is and all of that. You, you, you understand all of that. But if you take anything away from this today, keep in mind that God is not going to change his promise and he is going to, in spite of them, he is going to bless the rest of the world through the line of Jacob. And so that's what he does. 20 years later, by the way, God comes to Jacob and he says, yeah, you've been treated pretty badly. I understand what's going on here. He says, I want you to return home. I want you to go back to Bethel where I gave you that dream. And we'll get started all over again, so to speak. And you'll be back in the land of Canaan. But gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we look at the life of Jacob with these few highlights, that you remind us That, Father, we live in a pretty messy world. We live in situations that around us don't look like, uh, pretty much look like what's described when 
the psalm writer wrote, I'm looking at all the doubts and the fears around me, but I'm going to dwell in Beulah land. Father, we pray in your precious name that you'd help us to rise above all of that. And in all of the applications we can make from the life of Jacob, Lord, remind us that he had a strong relationship with you and that, Father, you were willing to forgive him of his sin. In your precious name we pray, amen.